the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Hope you had a good holiday, long weekend, and we're glad to have you back with us today. And I'm glad to be back in studio. have been a bit under the weather, as you may have noticed. I want to thank James Blind for producing, Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, and glad to have you with us. We're going to have a conversation with... Um, Twin brothers who are both filmmakers, we're referring to the Justice Brothers, Sean and Kyle. Uh, Sean has Sean Justice Films, and then Kyle uh, has Awesome Science Media. We'll explain what each of them does. And um, it's it's actually pretty exciting uh, because they're making a difference in the kingdom. So the Justice Brothers will be joining us a bit later. We're also going to talk with um, Kevin Terrio, who is a senior counsel and vice president of the Center for Life with Alliance Defending Freedom. He directs the work of uh, team members working to overturn Roe versus Wade to defend pro-life speech and battle against physician-assisted suicide. He's going to join us to talk about uh, the U.S. Supreme Court and how likely it is that they will revisit Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton. There was a decision uh, made or not made uh, today that may give us a bit of insight. So Kevin will talk with us about that. We'll also also work our way through some of the uh, the news from the last several days. As you recall, last week we had a couple of days of Radiothon and weren't able to cover the headline news. Friday I was still under the weather and ended up uh, being gone on that day. So I want to try to bring us up to date, beginning with uh, Tuesday of last week, former Attorney General Loretta Lynch flatly accused former FBI Director James Comey of mischaracterizing her statements by repeatedly alleging under oath that Lynch privately instructed him to call the Hillary Clinton email probe a matter instead of an investigation. Seems like some of the insiders are starting to turn against one another. Lynch, who testified that uh, Comey's claim left her quite surprised, made the dramatic remarks at a joint closed-door session of the House Oversight and Judiciary Committees last December. A transcript of her testimony was released on Monday by House Judiciary Committee Ranking Member Doug Collins out of Georgia. And Iran quadrupled its uranium enrichment production capacity amid tensions with the U.S. over Tehran's atomic program. Nuclear officials said last Monday, just after the president and Iran's foreign minister traded threats and taunts on Twitter, Iranian officials made a point of, to stress that the uranium would be enriched only to the 3.67 percent limit set under the 2015 nuclear deal with world powers, making it usable for a power plant, but far below what's needed for an atomic weapon. But by increasing production, Iran soon will exceed the stockpile limitations set by that accord. Tehran has set a July 7th deadline for Europe to set new terms for the deal, or it will enrich close Uh, Closer to weapons grade levels, according to the Associated Press. So the back and forth continues. The U.S. Census Bureau is uh, concerned that Russian government could hack into data collected in the 2020 census in a similar way to how it interfered in the 2016 presidential election, a top bureau official said. And Judicial Watch released three emails, email exchange 
uh, rather, between Deputy Assistant Secretary of State Kathleen Kavalich, a Hillary Clinton donor, and Bruce Orr. They are all dated November 21st, 2016, just 13 days after the presidential election. But it is significant that the emails post-date the election. These Democratic Party bureaucrats were no longer trying to help Hillary Clinton win the election. Rather, they were apparently trying to undermine the president-elect. And a bipartisan team of senators asked the Trump administration why the convicted terrorist who became known as the American Taliban was about to be released from federal prison. That has since happened. We'll tell you more about that later in the program. A new report was uh, has revealed that support for the First Amendment among college students seems to be decreasing, as nearly half of students believe that hate speech should not be protected. Uh, conducted by the Knight Foundation, the survey reveals that 41% of college students believe hate speech, as they would define it, should not be protected under the First Amendment, while 58% believe that it should be protected. And House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, is scheduled to have a special caucus-wide meeting of House Democrats. That was Wednesday morning uh, as she faces growing calls within her party to impeach the president. Prior meetings involving Pelosi and top Democrats have escalated into heated exchanges with the party torn over how to address Trump controversies. The speaker has been reluctant to support impeaching the president, has warned Democrats that impeachment could distract from the focus needed to win the 2020 presidential election. The House Speaker also warned colleagues that voters may not support impeaching the president and that the party could suffer voter backlash if Trump was ultimately acquitted in the Republican-led Senate. Still, former White House counsel Donald McGahn's refusal on President's, uh, President Trump's orders to appear at a hearing before the House Judiciary Committee on uh, last Tuesday escalated tensions between congressional Democrats and the Trump administration. A growing number of Democrats say they are dealing with a lawless president, in quotes, and that impeachment, not um, numerous investigations, may be the only way to hold the president accountable. Dozens of storms and tornadoes in the Midwest damaged multiple buildings last week, including a racetrack grandstand, but were expected to weaken by later that next day. Missouri and parts of Illinois already had been hit in severe weather in the second consecutive day of uh, severe storms uh, were blamed for the um, uh, at least two deaths. St. Louis was uh, largely spared from the powerful storm system. But baseball St. Louis Cardinals called off their game last week against their cross-state rivals, the Kansas City Royals, as the rumbling of an approaching storm could be heard downtown. The city's Lambert Airport shut down for an hour again last week, but resumed flights a short time later. Well, the exclusive community of Beverly Hills, California, took a step on Tuesday toward becoming the first city in the United States to ban the sale of tobacco products. The city council approved an ordinance that would ban the sale of cigarettes, cigars, and other tobacco products at all retail locations within the Tawny Southern California city, including gas stations, convenience stores, pharmacies, and newsstands. Hotels and several high-end cigar lounges, including the Grand Havana Room, Arnold Schwarzenegger's favorite cigar club, would be exempt from that rule. The second reading and final vote on that ordinance was expected to take place In early June, if passed, that ordinance will be reviewed by the council in three years. Beverly Hills wasn't the only place to make history. Washington, and this is last Tuesday, Washington State Governor Jay Inslee signed a bill into law that allows the composting of human bodies as an alternative to burials and cremations. And a B-movie poster courted controversy at the Cannes Film Festival's market by featuring a bikini-clad woman resembling First Lady Melania Trump holding two decapitated heads, one of them a President Trump 
uh, lookalike character wearing a Make America Great Again cap. The poster for a 90-minute sci-fi thriller called When Women Rule the World featured the tagline, Meet the First Lady of the Future with her heads of state. Well, the film was being promoted at the Cannes Market, part of the International Film Festival uh, held each May in France. The Nevada Senate approved a national popular vote bill on a party line vote, sending the legislation aimed at upending the Electoral College to the governor. If signed, as expected by the Democratic governor, Steve uh, Sisolak, Nevada would become the 16th jurisdiction to join, join that compact, along with 14 states in the District of Columbia. The compact would take effect uh, after states totaling 270 electoral votes, and with Nevada, the total is 190 Uh, 195, according to the Washington Times. Well, on the eve of a highly anticipated meeting with Democrats at which the president was expected to unveil a way to fund a $2 trillion infrastructure proposal, you might recall the president instead put Congress on notice that it will have to make a uh, take a backseat to a trade deal. And the White House and bipartisan leaders on Capitol Hill were nearing a two year deal to raise the spending caps, paving the way for a cleaner spending process but doing so at the expense of taxpayers. Meanwhile, Robert S. Mueller III and House Democrats have been unable to reach an agreement on how much of the special counsel's expected congressional testimony would be public and how much would be would take place in private. And the House Judiciary Committee on Tuesday subpoenaed former White House Communications Director Hope Hicks for documents and testimony related to its investigation into possible obstruction of justice and public corruption by the Trump administration. The committee also subpoenaed former White House counsel Don McGahn's chief of staff, Annie Donaldson. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're winding our way through some of the news over the last week, really. And we'll bring you up to date in just a few moments. Also, we'll talk with Sean and Kyle Justice. They're twin brothers. They're also filmmakers. Each of them has their own career, one, Sean Justice Films, and the other, Awesome Science Media. We'll bring you um, all the important details about what they do for the kingdom a bit later. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 21 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency and Zero Res. Coming up uh, later this hour, we'll talk with Sean and Kyle Justice. They're brothers, in fact, They're twins. They're both filmmakers and quite extraordinary in their own right. Sean Justice Films and Awesome Science Media. These two brothers are making a real impact for the kingdom. We'll tell you their story when they join us in our next segment. We're winding our way through some of the headlines we were not able to cover uh, last week due to our Radiothon and some other events as well. Well, a Chinese company has set up shop in uh, House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy's congressional district. And now McCarthy is blocking bipartisan legislation that's favored by the Trump administration that would have harmed the Chinese government's business interests. Well, I guess um, each state, each representative has interests of their own. And the Trump administration will hire conservative firebrand and former Virginia Attorney General Ken Cuccinelli II uh, to coordinate immigration policy at the Department of Homeland Security. Americans' confidence in the U.S. job market is the highest in Gallup's trend originating in 2001, with 71% in May, saying now is a good time to find a quality job. And British Prime Minister Theresa May said her government will include um, in her uh, withdrawal agreement bill a requirement for members of parliament to vote on whether to hold another Brexit referendum. Whether or not she gets that... Well, just remains to be seen. Looking back at Thursday of last week, the very public rift between the president and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi illustrated um, 
uh, how much the Russia collusion investigation and what Trump supporters would call Democrats' obsession with ousting him from the Oval Office have paralyzed the government. The meeting between Trump and the Democratic leaders, Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, was cut short. And any plans to rebuild America's infrastructure were put on hold after Pelosi accused the president of engaging in a cover-up. Trump, in a Rose Garden statement, said the Democrats uh, must end their phony investigations before he'll negotiate with them on issues like infrastructure. So right now, both sides remain at a standstill. The president and the White House insist Democrats can't accept the findings of no collusion in the special counsel Robert Mueller's report and want do-overs with numerous congressional investigations. Democrats show no signs of easing up on their investigations and insist the president is obstructing justice by instructing witnesses to defy subpoenas and be uncooperative. So don't plan on much being accomplished over the next several months. Jefferson City, the capital city of Missouri, has taken a direct hit from a tornado, suffered a possibly catastrophic damage, according to reports. According to the National Weather Service, a confirmed large and destructive tornado was observed over Jefferson City, moving northeast at 40 miles an hour. The twister appeared to have traveled through the center of town. The Jefferson City News Tribune reported at the time. We're currently identifying the location of damage, searching for injured residents, and it was catastrophic. Meanwhile, John Walker Lind, the Islamic militant who became known as the infamous jihadi um, American Taliban, is set to be released uh, from the U.S. federal prison. That was last Thursday, despite lawmakers' concerns. Lind, who's been behind bars in Terre Haute, Indiana, is, was uh, discharged several years before he would complete the 20-year prison sentence he received for joining and supporting Taliban. The former Islamist fighter and Enemy combatant was arrested in 2001, just months after the 9-11 attacks and the start of the war in Afghanistan, along with a group of Taliban fighters who were captured by U.S. forces. In a letter last week to the Federal Bureau of Prisons, lawmakers expressed concerns about the security and safety implications. He has not, uh, by all accounts, renounced his extremist views. They were concerned about freeing an unrepentant terrorist who, officials say, continues to openly call for extremist violence. They also sought details on how the agency is working to prevent prisoners such as Lynn from committing additional crimes after their release and asked which other uh, terrorist offenders are next in line to be freed. Well, federal prosecutors in New York uh, charged embattled attorney Michael Avenatti with defrauding adult film star Stormy Daniels, the client who propelled Avenatti into national uh, into the spotlight, Avenatti faces uh, one count of wire fraud and one count of aggravated identity theft. He faces up to 22 years in prison if convicted of those charges. Daniels, um, known as I should say, also known as Stephanie Clifford, is not named in the indictment, but a federal law enforcement official confirmed that she is the client prosecutors claimed Avenatti defrauded. Avenatti rocketed to fame representing her when she sued f- to be released from a non-disclosure agreement involving an alleged uh, relationship with um, civilian uh, Trump, but now President Trump, in 2006. Um, He uh, uh, parlayed his notoriety into numerous cable news appearances and even was uh, floating uh, as a potential Democratic presidential candidate in 2020. Those hopes have since been dashed. And former um, staffer for Michelle Obama has evaded a subpoena in the Smollett case, Uh, Tina Chen, the uh, former chief of staff for the first lady, Michelle Obama, declined to be served with a subpoena by a retired Illinois judge seeking to uh, seeking the appointment of a special prosecution in the Jesse Smollett case, according to a process service, a server rather in an email to former Illinois appellate judge Sheila O'Brien. The process server wrote that a security guard at the Chicago law firm 
uh, where uh, Chen is a partner, called up to her and spoke with her. And she said that she was um, in never going to accept service uh, and to not allow the server to the law firm. The subpoena would have required her to appear at a May 31st hearing on O'Brien's request for a special prosecutor and provide any and all documents, notes, phone uh, records, text, tape recordings made or received at any time concerning conversations with the Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox uh, in the Jesse Smollett case. And New York lawmakers a final uh, gave final passage to legislation that would allow President Trump's tax returns uh, to be released to congressional committees that have so far been barred from getting the president's federal filings. That These would be state tax returns. And the Pentagon on Thursday represented um, or rather presented plans to the White House to send Another 10,000 more troops to the Middle East and a move to beef up defenses against potential Iranian threats. The presentation having been made, no word on whether or not it will be implemented. President Trump on Tuesday announced that he plans to nominate Barbara Barrett, the former chairwoman of the nonprofit Aerospace Corporation, to be the next secretary of the Air Force. And Washington Governor Jay Inslee signed legislation that turns the Evergreen State into a sanctuary state. Under the new measure, state and local authorities will be barred from questioning individuals about their immigration status, except in limited cases. And this could be the last straw for Whole Foods, well, at least for their customers. The super supermarket chain announced uh, last Monday that it's eliminating plastic straws from all stores in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. beginning in July. So you might want to stock up. And Harriet Tumbin, the former slave abolitionist conductor and the Underground Railroad, will not become the face of the $20 bill until after the president leaves office, according to Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, announcing last Monday. And America's largest cities are shrinking, but a few in the southwest are continuing to boom. Besides Fort Worth, the 15 most populous cities were largely unchanged from the prior year. However, the three large U.S. cities, New York City, Los Angeles, and Chicago, shrank last year. One could easily speculate as to why. And taking a look at headline news from Friday, uh, the president um, the day uh, the night before issued a memo giving Attorney General William Barr the authority to declassify any documents related to surveillance of the Trump campaign in 2016. The president also ordered the intelligence community to cooperate with the attorney general. U.S. Representative Adam Schiff, chairman of the House um, Intelligence Committee blasted the move as an attempt to weaponize law enforcement and classified information. Uh, The president has long claimed his campaign was the victim of spying, though the intelligence community has insisted it acted lawfully in following leads in the Russia investigation. Last month, the attorney general ran into a buzzsaw of criticism from Democratic lawmakers and media figures for testifying that spying did occur again, the Trump camp against the Trump campaign. But despite the backlash, the attorney general appeared to be referring to intelligence collection uh, that already has been widely reported and confirmed. And now Speaker Pelosi, uh, her claim of, well, we won't even uh, bother to go into that. Uh, Theresa May is going to be stepping down on June the 7th. And uh, much of what she is called for will not be granted to her, we've learned this week. L.A. lawmakers um, in Los Angeles County, the Board of Supervisors, voted to enact a one-year ban on official travel to Alabama over that state's controversial abortion law. Excuse me. And in a feature on FoxNews.com, Fox & Friends, um, Pete Hegseth explained why he wants critics to stop questioning the tactics that U.S. troops employ on the battlefield. He wrote that we send men to fight in our battlefield or on our behalf and too often second guess the manner in which they fight. 
Count me out on the Monday morning quarterbacking. I'm with the American warfighter all the way. I'm not talking about massacre or sheer recklessness. None of us ever contemplated the killing of women and children for sport. We didn't shoot innocent civilians for fun. And he went on to defend those who stand in our uh, in our stead. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with Sean and Kyle Justice. They happen to be twins. They're brothers, of course. And they are both filmmakers in their own right. Sean Justice Films and Awesome Science Media. Pretty um, amazing young men who are making an impact for the sake of the kingdom. That's next on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, I'm excited because I have two brothers in studio who happen to be twin brothers, who also happen to be filmmakers, each in his own right. And I have um, come in contact with the two of you in so many different places, under so many different circumstances. I thought it was just about a, a time that we spend some time in studio. And I kind of feel like this is an introduction, and I need to have each of you in separately to talk in greater detail about some of the things that you're doing. But thank you so much for coming uh, to talk with me today. I really look forward to it. Oh, man, we, we've always had a great time Spending time with you, Georgine. (laughs) In our various capacities. (laughs) I know, but uh, this is a pleasure. Thank you for having us. So let me introduce each of you separately, uh, and that could take the whole program. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to kind of give you the shorter version of it, but let's start with you, Kyle. Kyle is an Emmy-nominated producer of many creation science DVDs and programs. He's the father of eight children and is still upright, by the way. (laughs) Kyle and his wife, Dawn, homeschool. They're incorporating most of their kids into the travel, shooting, and marketing of their DVD titles. Their uh, brand of creation videos is under the label of Awesome Science Media. Some of you might be familiar with that. Uh, many of their video titles are used for science education in church, Christian schools, homeschool programs, and much more. They started producing television projects back in the 1980s, and we'll go into more detail about that shortly. Uh, and also, Sean established Justice Productions in 1989, continues to serve its corporate and broadcast clients, as well as develop original titles for sale in the business marketplace, but he began producing feature films as Justice Pictures in 1999, focusing on family and faith. Uh, That market, its first film was Going the Distance, got the ball rolling. The company has since followed up with The Reconciler, Out of the Darkness, uh, Murder of Innocence. Sean also sold the rights to a faith-based Western, um, Justice, which was shot in New Mexico in March of 2016, and I could, again, go on and on and on and on. He's uh, currently in the process of editing uh, the narrow road. So again, both very impressive. Now, looking back, uh, you you were both influenced by your father, who did some filmmaking when you were uh, younger. Tell us about that. Well, my dad's vocation was actually an electrical engineer, but his hobby was filmmaking. So he was always like the first to have the first video camera, you know, the the best editing and Super Eight and so on. So we grew up around that environment. Well, I think, and it was, it was, this is Sean. Uh, <laughs> registration identifier, so. Um, you know, the, the thing that he did with us, and he really involved us in that. Uh, and I think it's what really created our love for filmmaking because he, we, we animated our Legos at age five and continued to do other stuff that he involved us in. And, you know, as, as a father, you know, of, of four kids, that's very important, I, I think, to involve your children in, what you love to do, and, and they create a passion. Of course, I don't think our dad exactly thought we would make it a mm-hmm. career. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, it, it's, I guess it's not surprising that as young 
boys. You had an interest. I mean, everybody's interested in film and, you know, doing little things. But that the two of you, as uh, grown men, uh, have gone into the industry in, in two different ways, although very similar in some aspects, is somewhat surprising. Did you collaborate? Did the two of you... Uh, sort of note that, yeah, we are developing an interest in the same um, thing in filmmaking, or did it just evolve naturally out of your uh, love of filmmaking that started with your dad? Uh, you know, I think we were both pretty passionate about it. I think when Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back came out, it kind of captured our imagination for telling stories through film. And so you know, often filmmaking is more than just a one-man band. You know, it takes a, a little team, and we could encourage each other on we could uh, brainstorm on new ideas and and so all the way through high school uh, we worked on a lot of projects together and then some of our own independent projects as well mm-hmm. well we're each other's best friends too growing up so for us to do things together to be a team uh was very natural and so when we got in the middle school we took television because my dad said hey your middle school is going to be offering television production back in 82 and wow and uh, and we did we excelled we got a's in the class and uh you know as kind of quirky you know middle school kids we kind of found our our groove and uh and we were advanced placement students at jefferson high school back when they had a performing arts program we excelled there we won national awards for our work as a team um and eventually kyle went off to moody bible institute i stayed in town went to psu for business and that's when I started my own production company. And Kyle didn't come back till what, 95? 97. 97. 97. Yeah. And, uh, and was doing work for other companies and kind of took got his own groove. So we, we would collaborate every now and then. But, yeah, it was uh, definitely something that we get together over barbecues and yeah. family events and still talk shop. So. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be fun, though, as brothers and twin brothers, um, no less, to, to talk about how your love of filmmaking has developed, each of you in a very unique way. I think so. You know, I think the passion originally for me was to do feature films. And, you know, Sean was doing a lot of corporate work and he kind of followed that. But, uh, you know, my passion I got into was science and from a biblical worldview. And I combined television and that together. And not that many people are doing really good programming. And I just felt like the Lord was leading me that direction. And it's been amazing to see the growth that he's blessed us in his family. You're both men of faith. And Sean, you too have, in addition to doing corporate work, you too are focusing much of your your effort on faith films and inspiration. Well, yeah, that just comes out of a natural. I mean, Kyle and I were very involved in our youth group when we were growing up. We were very, I remember when, when Kyle was, we were about 12, and Kyle was pursuing reading the Bible more and, and really deepening in his faith. At first I was, I was like jealous, you know, I was like, man, that, I want to be like, and then I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. I can be. <laughs> <laughs> that was his inspiration. And so we were, yeah, he was. And so it was kind of like ironing, sharpening iron. Mm-hmm. So our faith has always been very key uh, to us. In fact, I remember even though star Wars may have been a real motivational, like, wow, you know, films was just incredible. It was Raiders of the Lost Ark that really captured my imagination to tell uh, uh, films about God's character or kingdom films or, or and I know it's not a necessarily a Christian film, but you look at a film like Raiders of the Lost Ark and you see God all over that. Yeah, well, it's the Raiders of the Lost Ark of yes. the Covenant. Yes, <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And that's really what motivated me to keep going. And I mean, it was in the early 90s. There was no independent film world at that point and not until later on. And I was just seeking God. I was like, my God, I don't feel like you want me to move to L.A., but what do I do? 
no doors are opening. And he said, write, start writing. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started writing my first screenplay in 92. And it was really bad. So. <laughs> but you did but it. I got you the first one. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me it. ask each of you separately. I'll start with you, Kyle. Did you sense that this was, uh, you obviously had a gift and a talent in this area. You developed it. Did you sense that this was a calling for you, that God had equipped you for this particular kind of work? Because I know there are other people listening who who love filmmaking, who might be thinking, how do you how do you get there? Did you sense that this was what God had in mind for you? I think so. Yeah. Um like Sean said, our whole background was doing video from when we were little. It was a passion that God put on our hearts to do. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say, yeah, it was a calling. I remember once I was praying and, and God showed me this vision of, uh, you know, Moses opening up the Red Seas with the lifting of the staff. But I don't know, I saw myself lifting up my camera. I mean, I'm not, I'm not Moses, but, <laughs> you know, but it's like, and, and God was saying to me, I felt like I'm going to use your camera to reach the world and do miracles mm. and to do incredible things. So, uh, yeah, that's a calling, I yeah, think. Right? <laughs> How about you, Sean? Uh, yeah, I, you know, like I said, I think it was really a lost ark that really captured my, my imagination and, and probably feeling in a way that, that God was saying, these are the kind of films I want you to make. And so the... And because our faith and has always been so central to who we are, uh, you know, for me to do films that are interesting to me as a filmmaker, it, it's about my faith and, mm-hmm. and how I see people being challenged and living out their faith. And I've never been the show the pastor loses faith and then regain it. I've always been like, let's show believers who are going through real things and real challenges and how do they – how do they deal with that? How do they explore their faith? How do they grow in their faith through those things? In the midst of those challenging right. circumstances. Now, we're going to take a break here in just a moment. When we come back, I want to speak to each of you about the, the specific kind of work that you're doing. And as I said at the outset, there isn't enough time to cover all the things I think would be interesting to our listeners. So I will invite each of you back separately. They do function separately, just to <laughs> emphasize that. So we'll get into that in just a few moments. Again, we're talking with Kyle and Sean Justice. Each is a film maker in his own right and we'll talk a little bit about the kinds of films they are making we'll be back you're listening to the georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq and we're back you're listening to the georgine rice show and i have two fascinating brothers in studio (laughs) kyle and sean justice Uh, they are each filmmakers in their own right kyle is an emmy nominated producer of many creation science dvds and programs he's the father of eight children and those kids are sometimes featured in those uh, those films sean established justice productions in 89 continues to serve its corporate and broadcast clients but he also produces feature films as justice pictures Pictures. That started in 1999, and it's grown from there. Well, let me just um, speak to one of you at a time to kind of give our listeners a picture of what you're doing. I'll start with you, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Um, you have been making these DVDs and programs for quite some time, and it began with you and your family on one of your kind of road trips and um, focusing on creation and taking film that included, I think, your son Noah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you and your family developed what has now become yeah. quite an institution. Yeah. Well, back in 99 is when I actually started my uh, pro- corporate production company and broadcast, and I've done work for ESPN, National Geographic, and you know a lot of networks. But I was spending a lot of time away from home, and uh, we got the chance to just hit the road. We had no like set destination per se, but we know we wanted to hit some of the national parks in the West. And I took my camera along 
And uh, I said to my son Noah, who was 12 at the time, and I was like, hey, go, go in front of the Grand Canyon and talk about how the river couldn't have run uphill or, you know, Yellowstone. And so we came back and we're like, wow, this, this, he did pretty good. And so we started to put together this content and realized we had about four different DVD titles, uh, mostly focused on national parks. And that turned into 12 DVDs that Noah hosts. And then uh, now we're... Well, we're stuff from astronomy to dinosaurs and geology and, and from kids to full-length documentaries, uh, over 30 titles now. So it's kind of, it's just grown and we have plans to do a lot more shooting together. And you've worked with um, Dr. Donald Chittick. Um, you've uh, worked with others in the creation science yeah. Um, uh, realm and that has contributed to your production of these films that really focus yeah. our attention on a biblical worldview when it comes yeah. to creation science and to help equip young people as yeah. well as adults and yeah. how to to address these issues. Yeah, it's it's so critical because a lot of churches are moving away from you know believing what the Bible says about creation and so on, and a lot of them have never really heard really good evidence for how do you explain dinosaurs, how do you explain the Ice Age, and all these different things, and, and we want to present that evidence in a compelling way, and we're getting great response. People are encouraged in their faith, and it's great to be a part of something like that. And uh, is are your kids still involved in oh, yeah. the production of these? Yeah, yeah. Noah kind of retired on that. He's 21. He's going to college. <laughs> but we started another show last summer called Dino Kids. And so four of my kids are out, you know, digging up dinosaur bones and that type of stuff. We'll shoot, a more, shoot more in Texas and and uh, different parts of the country in, in the fall is what we're looking at doing. So it's fun. It's, it's great to, as a family. We have a 36-foot RV that we travel in. And uh, it's just we're, we're an adventurous family. We, we love being oh, on the road. Like so much fun. It is. <laughs> and your, your, um, your films are used by churches. They're used by yeah. homeschool cooperatives and so on. Well, yeah. In fact, uh, the Creation Museum that Ken Ham started yeah. in Kentucky, if you look at the, the bookstore, we probably have 20 titles there on the wall. So they buy a lot from us. That's really what is our main buyer. And that helps to – we reinvest a lot of the, the revenue that comes in from that back into more content. And uh, – and other ministries are also getting involved in buying it. And then a lot of homeschool families yeah. use our content as well. So it's it's so much fun to be a part of that. Did you ever imagine that you and your family would be working on this project together and that it would be as successful as it has become? Um, I mean, I didn't set out and say, we're going to, you know, yeah. do this and do that. <laughs> um, it was just each step uh, of the way that God led us. Yeah. And my wife is in total support and she's an adventurous soul herself. So Very cool. it's been so much fun. Well, Sean, let's talk to you about um, Justice Productions. You also have Justice Pictures. Tell us a little bit of your your um, story in arriving at producing these films. Well, when I when I wrote my first script, uh, I had some really good reviewers that totally tore it apart. But in fact, even a uh, an ex marine, I think he was the best at it. <laughs> but my second script, I knew I needed help on, and that was uh, what became Going the Distance, my first film that I shot in nineteen ninety nine. I partnered with the Family Research Council, who ended up selling tons of VHS copies of it. And uh, and I kept writing after that. I got won awards for my, my screenplays that I wrote um, and just kept singing the Lord. It's like, okay, you know, where are we at? How are we going to do this next film? And, um, and I think the first one was just out of obedience. God said, uh, you know, go ahead and make the film with what resources I bring to the table. And, you know, for my vision of what that might have been, might have been millions of dollars. <laughs> but it wasn't. It was just, um, it was really a call to faith for me 
Um, and my wife got involved. She's in the studio and she's been my production designer on two other films as well. And I've involved my oldest son too. So I do have like Kyle, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, have people involved, but it, it was there. I had a couple of near misses with, uh, potential investors and then 2008 hit and then nobody was investing in film. Um, and, and I just kept writing. I said, like, okay, Lord, what do I do? Just keep writing, Sean, keep writing. And so I did, I, I, probably amassed almost 20 screenplays that I've wow. written. Uh, and for I, whatever purposes, those eventually, all of those, I mean, six of them have become films. So, <laughs> um, But it wasn't until 2012 uh, when our son passed away uh, in a drowning at a high school mm. camp. And we, um, we were really strong as a family then as we are now. Um, and he just loved the Lord. And, uh, and it was really inspirational to us all. And, we saw God's purpose and hand in that. He was giving us peace even before we fully knew what happened. And it was, uh, it was all over the news back in 2012. Um, but what we did was uh, we, we pursued the, the insurance money for that. We wanted to use that for two purposes. One was to uh, preserve Caleb's memory within our family, which we've done some things for that. But the other thing was we wanted to invest in the projects that were Caleb's heart. He was just sold out for Jesus. And I said, why don't we, why don't we make another small film? And that's how The Reconciler came about. And that kind of started the whole process again of making movies because that immediately led into Out of the Darkness, which I worked with Graham Greene on that one, got some really uh, neat opportunities in that. Um, and then after that, I actually ended up shooting um, the, the Narrow Road, and in the middle of, while well, we were editing The Narrow Road, which is a faith-based Russian mafia movie. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, I have to wrap my head around now. <laughs> uh, uh, I was approached by an elderly woman who had actually had a project in with um, uh, Russ Downton, who did the uh, the Thief in the Night movies. And she got them, uh, her story back from him and approached me, and we actually ended up making A Murder of Innocence. Which was which, your latest project that's right, to be that's released. Right. And it, it actually comes out on VOD on June 18th all over the world. So um, that's exciting. And, and now, of course, my attention has turned back to uh, editing The Narrow Road and finishing that out. So we're excited. It's God's doing just amazing things, and there's so much more I can tell. Yeah, which you will on <laughs> yes. another occasion. Yes, yes, yes. Let me ask you, though, early on you said when you did your first screenplay – it was uh, it, it was not handled kindly by critics. Yes. Yet you were not discouraged. Why is that? Is because you're resilient, or because you sense that this is what God is calling me to do, and I'm just going to do it, whether or not it gets the kind of accolades that one imagines are necessary to have a successful career. Well, you know, I, I'm I was always the type of kid who ate his vegetables first reset and then enjoyed my steak really? or whatever you, you did yeah. that yeah really? because you <laughs> got rid of those fur you got rid of so my my and what I'm, the analogy of that is that i would rather have people be very hard on me mm-hmm. people who are honest the truth. <laughs> and tell the truth I, if someone said oh your screenplay is great i'd be like no 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 that, no really that tell me that doesn't help me. i wanted to do it help me because i wanted to get better better at it as fast as i could and because i'd much rather have people be critical of it in the writing, as opposed to when it gets up on the screen, if I just had a bunch of yes people saying, oh, it's great, and then it's really not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I figured that was just the fastest way to learn to become a really good writer. Oh. Well, again, there's so much more we could talk about and will on our next occasion. Sadly, it will be separately. Uh, and I need to talk to you about this vegetable thing. <laughs> I, just, I was with you right up. It was until just then. logic. It was logic. <laughs> Again, we're talking with the uh, Justice Brothers, Sean and Kyle, both remarkable filmmakers. Um, uh, what's the best way for people to to find out more about what you're doing? 
Uh, www.justicepictures.com and uh, and then www. Uh, uh, go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, uh, <laughs> my <Sorry. name's> <laughs> awesomesciencemedia.com. Awesomesciencemedia. And compelmedia.com. Well, yeah, that's my corporate, compelmedia.com. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I I'm plugging him now. <laughs> we'll have you back. All right. We've got news and traffic up next. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. Welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Six minutes after five o'clock is our time. Well, the Supreme Court today sidestepped part of a case that could have tested the constitutional right to abortion established in Roe versus Wade turning down an appeal to reinstate an Indiana abortion law. But the court, in an apparent compromise, upheld part of that same law, regulating the disposal of fetal remains. Well, the first part of the law banned abortions sought solely because of uh, the characteristics of the preborn child, like sex or disability. The law's second provision required abortion providers to bury or cremate those remains. Well, the court's decision, issued without briefing on the merits or oral arguments, was unsigned and just three pages long. Well, Indiana, the court said, has a legitimate interest in proper disposal of fetal remains, quoting an earlier decision. Well, the case, Box versus Planned Parenthood of Indiana and Kentucky, number 18483, had been closely watched because it could have given the Supreme Court its first chance to consider, or rather reconsider, the constitution- constitutionality rather of a state law restricting abortion since Justice Brett Kavanaugh replaced Justice Anthony Kennedy. What does that tell us about the likelihood that the U.S. Supreme Court will revisit Roe versus Wade? And what about comments that were made by one of the justices uh, regarding the same? Well, joining us is Kevin Terreho. He is senior counsel and vice president of the Center for Life with Alliance Defending Freedom, where he directs the work of team members working to overturn Roe versus Wade, defend pro-life speech and battle against physician assisted suicide. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on, Georgine. Good to be here. How important was the decision by the Supreme Court not to take up the full issues in the Indiana case? And does that tell us anything about what's likely to happen uh, in future about the court's willingness to revisit some of these uh, open questions? I don't think it was real important. I think uh, the, the court was very careful to say that it wasn't expressing any kind of opinion on these eugenics restrictions, the prohibition on uh, discrimination based upon race, religion, or disability. And it, it was careful to say that uh, it was hoping that the lower courts would develop the legal and factual arguments further before the Supreme Court took it up. And that's very typical what the Supreme Court did, does. I think the more significant decision was that they uh, uh, they upheld the Indiana law that said that uh, fetal remains need to be disposed of with dignity and couldn't be just treated like medical waste. Now, that is interesting because the Supreme Court has said historically that uh, unborn children are not persons under the law. Does that confer, confer a certain... Um, uh, value to the unborn child that the previous decisions have not? How would you interpret that? Absolutely, it does. It says that Indiana has an interest in saying that um, the, for the dignity of the medical profession, for the dignity of humanity, uh, that, that we can acknowledge as a state that this isn't some uh, product of conception like the other side likes to call it or, or some sort of clump of cells. This isn't actually a fully formed human being that even has fingernails at 12 weeks. So, um, so disposing of them in a way that is not just, it's different than disposing of uh, an appendix that's removed. 
Yeah. Now, it's, I think it's important to mention that the Indiana law was enacted in 2016, and it was signed into law by Governor Mike Pence, who, of course, is now our vice president. And it prohibited all abortions at any time during a pregnancy when they were based on a fetus's sex or because it had been diagnosed with Down syndrome or some other disability. And I love the use of the word eugenics as it's now being applied to this law, because that is precisely what it is designed to prevent. Absolutely. And Justice Thomas really nailed it in his concurrence. He said, he said, look, the, the issues haven't developed well enough below. There's only been one court of appeal um, that has ruled upon this issue. So it needs to be developed a little bit more before we take it. But we're going to have to take it because if Planned Parenthood is right, then they're constitutionalizing this discrimination that was prevalent in the 19, early 1900s that said that, hey, if somebody is considered to be less valuable, maybe feeble-minded, deaf even, um, we have the right uh, to make sure that they don't reproduce and further weaken the human race. That's just dangerous stuff. Yeah, yeah. In fact, Justice Clarence Thomas uh, said in his 20-page concurring opinion, although the court declines to wade into these issues today, we cannot avoid them forever. Having created the constitutional right to an abortion, the court is duty-bound to address its scope. Now, that is perhaps the more interesting element of Uh, The decision made by the court not to take up this case is the admission by Justice Thomas that um, while we're not taking this issue up at this time, uh, that abortion should not become a tool of eugenic manipulation. And the court will. They are duty bound at some point to um, uh, rule on these questions. They really are. And and I think that um, that they very well may in the next couple of years. As a matter of fact, there are several other cases coming up Mm -hmm. from other states um, out of Ohio, out of Kentucky. And so we're very uh, optimistic that the court may take one of these and demonstrate that, that, look, this absolute right to abortion that Planned Parenthood and its allies are advocating for is nowhere in the Constitution. And the states have the right to restrict abortion, not only protect um, unborn life, but also to protect women from dangerous procedures. Yeah. Do you have a sense of one particular law that a state has passed that's likely to be challenged and could be, and this is speculative, I recognize, could be the case that ultimately will uh, force the Supreme Court to revisit its earlier decision regarding uh, abortion on demand? Um, I I certainly don't. I I don't have any way of predicting that. I think any of these cases that um, restrict abortion prior to viability are very good. There's a very good possibility that the court could use those to undermine Roe. Absolutely. Let's talk about other issues that um, we should be keeping our eyes and ears open for, because this seems to be a season in which bills have been passed, laws have been established in a number of states, um, not solely for the purpose of challenging Roe versus Wade, but certainly presenting uh, the potential opportunity for revisiting some of the questions that, despite the fact that Roe versus Wade has been the law of the land for decades now, uh, really demonstrate that this is unsettled uh, across this country. That's exactly right. That that uh, and and one of the things that the court attempted to do in Roe v. Wade is say, hey, let's there's this controversial issue, let's fix it. And then they tried it again in 1992 in the Casey case. Say, let's just make sure that everybody knows that abortion is well established. Well, that hasn't worked, and these new laws demonstrate that it's not well settled. There have been since Roe v. Wade, there have been a lot of changes. There have been scientific advancements that demonstrate that it's a baby. It is uh, in, a, in a fully formed baby early on in the pregnancy. It also demonstrates that, um, uh, that, that there have been changes in social 
uh, constructs so that the idea that um, having a child uh, by a single woman or or a woman out of wedlock it doesn't have the um, uh, the negative implications that it used to have. Uh, there are a lot more resources now for women with uh, choices pregnancy centers that provide diapers and parenting classes and um, and in support for the baby after the baby's born. So uh, we we really aren't in the same situation we were in back in 1973. And I think these legislatures like Alabama, like Georgia, and their recent heartbeat bill are recognizing that. You know, I thought it was interesting that Alabama, that was the focus of much attention a week or or so ago regarding their abortion uh, law and the debate that took place there, they have uh, recently broken an adoption record uh, that's getting some attention after the southern state passed their most restrictive uh, abortion ban in the country. So they are responding in a very pro-life way, in addition to addressing the concern about the uh, the destruction of uh, human life in utero. They are also addressing, um, apparently by sheer numbers, the willingness of the people of Alabama to adopt. So I'm encouraged and inspired by their example and really looking forward, as I think many of us are, to the case that will rise uh, to the fore, and the Supreme Court will uh, find that it must uh, take the issue up and address some of these uh, unanswered questions. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing with Alliance Defending Freedom and for taking the time to speak with us today. You are certainly welcome, and thank you for having me on. It's great to, uh, privilege to be on with you. Thank you so much. Again, uh, Kevin Terao is Senior Counsel and Vice President of the Center for Life with Alliance Defending Freedom. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 18 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. By the way, portions of our program today are brought to you by Zero Res. Well, President Trump in his press conference with Japanese Prime Minister Abe said he didn't think North Korea's recent short-range missile launches were a violation of the United Nations Security Council resolutions, despite his advisors' beliefs otherwise. Apparently not quite on the same page. Trump said perhaps North Korean leader Kim Jong-un was trying to get attention. Well, duh. Both Abe and Trump, National Security Advisor John Bolton, agree North Korea violated U.N. resolutions and that sanctions must remain in place. In addition, the president appeared to tone down his rhetoric on Iran and said the U.S. is not seeking regime change just a week after he warned Tehran that a confrontation between the two countries would lead to its demise. Well, at least five million in Ohio have been left without power after large and dangerous tornadoes. A powerful storm system that included at least one tornado considered large and dangerous passed through Ohio late on Monday that resulted in widespread damage, including 70,000 power outages currently affecting over five million people. Social media accounts claim to show a massive funnel cloud as a It hit near um, Trotwood, Ohio. That's eight miles northwest of Dayton. At least half a dozen communities from eastern Indiana through central Ohio suffered damage from the storm system, according to the National Weather Service. There have been no immediate reports of injuries or death. That may change, however. While a knife-wielding man screaming, I will kill you, attacked commuters, mostly school children, waiting at a suburban Tokyo bus stop during the morning rush hour, killing at least two people today, a schoolgirl and an adult man, according to Reuters, and wounding at least 16 others before he killed himself. Three of the injuries were serious, while the others were not life-threatening, according to an official from the city office in Kawasaki. Officials told the... Um, uh, we're told that the suspect, believed to be in his 40s or 50s, attacked people near 
a park in a residential area of Kawasaki City. The number of wounded reportedly included 13 children. Television footage showed emergency workers giving first aid to people inside a tent set up on a street and police and other officials carrying the wounded to ambulances. And in battle, attorney Michael Avenatti uh, will have a busy day in Manhattan federal court. But as a defendant, not as counsel, Avenatti is uh, well, rather was scheduled to be arraigned on charges that he stole nearly three hundred thousand dollars from Stormy Daniels, the client who skyrocketed his uh, him to national attention. Approximately three and a half hours later, he uh, was scheduled to be arraigned on charges that he tried to extort some twenty five million dollars from athletic apparel giant Nike by threatening to expose claims that the shoemaker paid off high school basketball players to steer them to Nike-sponsored colleges. If convicted on all accounts, Avenatti could face up to 69 years in prison. He report- repeatedly has denied any wrongdoing and pled not guilty to the charges, blame, uh, blaming Donald Trump for uh, the charges having been filed. And a Texas gun storage safety measure added to a massive spending bill sets a Political test for Governor Greg Abbott as the legislation heads to his desk. The Associated Press reports the $1 million measure was added late Sunday by budget negotiators, most of whom are Republicans. The bill was approved Sunday night by the GOP-controlled legislature. The campaign for safe home gun storage, just one part of a much broader $250 billion state budget, was fiercely opposed by the National Rifle Association and gun rights activists. Abbott, a Republican who has... uh, Uh, Line item veto power in regard to the budget must decide whether to nix the measure or ignore pressure from some gun rights groups and approve it. It will be an interesting um, decision to watch. Wells Fargo and TD Bank have turned over President Trump's financial records to the House Financial Services Committee amid a contentious legal battle between the Trump administration and congressional Democrats seeking access to sensitive files. And again, these are state records. And a federal grand jury in Virginia has indicted WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange on 18 charges, including conspiracy to obtain national security secrets and leaking classified information. The Trump administration will provide some $16 billion in aid for help to keep farmers afloat as they reel from the year-long trade war between the U.S. and China, the latest sign that the world's two largest economies are still far from striking a long-term trade agreement. And Republicans, Democrats and the president have reached an accord on disaster relief after eight months of partisan infighting. The measure will provide money for states and Puerto Rico for hurricanes dating back to 2017, as well as wildfires, tornadoes and recent Midwest flooding. One Republican, however, has stalled that effort. The Senate Republican Conference adopted an amendment on Thursday pushed by Senator Ben Sass to retain the Senate's ban on spending earmarks. And according to a... Um, New Harvard-Harris poll, Uh, most Americans wildly underestimate the number of illegal aliens entering the United States every month, and one reason could be the news media's reluctance to disclose the real statistics. And Chinese factories are pumping tons of dangerous chemicals into the air, despite an international agreement intended to halt the destruction of the ozone layer. That's according to a study that was released Last Wednesday, two provinces in China have been cited as a source of a spike in emissions of globally banned chemical chloral for fluorocarbon. And on this day in 1929, uh, 29 rather, the first of all color talking pictures on with the show produced by Warner Brothers opens in New York. And the rest, of course, is history. And on this day in 1957, National League owners give permission for the Brooklyn Dodgers and New York Giants to move to Los Angeles 
and San Francisco, respectively. And on this day in 1980, the first woman graduate from the previously all-male U.S. service academies, 61 female cadets graduate from West Point, 55 graduate from the Naval Academy, and 97 graduate from the Air Force Academy. And on this day in 2003, President George W. Bush signs a $350 billion tax cut package, the third largest in the history at that time. And finally, on this day in 2015, former Speaker of the House Dennis Hastert was charged with attempting to evade banks' reporting requirements and lying to the FBI in relation to his covering up of previous misconduct. Didn't seem that long ago, but of course it was. Well, the president uh, on Thursday um, issued a memo giving the attorney general the authority to declassify any documents related to surveillance of the Trump campaign in 2016. The president also ordered the intelligence community to cooperate with the attorney general. The memo read the heads of elements of the intelligence community and the heads of each department or agency that includes an element of the intelligence community shall promptly provide such assistance and information as the attorney general may request in connection with that review. Today, at the request and recommendation of the attorney general of the United States, President Donald J. Trump, directed the intelligence community to quickly and fully cooperate with the attorney general's report. It goes on from there, but the investigations are moving forward. Meanwhile, Democrats in New York state passed a pair of bills uh, that would allow Congress to get hold of the president's state tax returns. So with the escalating fight with top administration officials over access to the president's federal returns, well, the main legislation, which passed the state assembly 84 to 53 will require the state's tax commissioner to provide New York state tax returns to Congress upon request from House Ways and Means Committee, the Senate Finance Committee, or the Joint Committee on Taxation. The second bill also passed last Wednesday. It restricts requests to elected officials only and mandates the removal of any federal tax information that might appear on those state returns. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, a Democrat, signed that legislation, and some of those records have already been made available. John Walker Lind, the captured Islamic militant who at age 20 journeyed to Afghanistan to join the Taliban and fought alongside the terrorists in the days after 9-11, was released from a U.S. federal prison in Indiana on Thursday, his lawyer confirmed to the Washington Post. And despite lawmakers' concerns about the security and safety implications of freeing an unrepentant terrorist, who officials say continues to openly call for extremist violence, Lind dubbed the American Taliban had been serving his sentence at the Terre Haute, Indiana facility. He was discharged several years before completing the 20-year prison sentence he received for joining and supporting the Taliban, with officials citing good behavior for the early release. Now, I'm not sure how good behavior comports with uh, the fact that he is still openly calling for extremist uh, violence, but nonetheless, that's what the court have, has decided. The former Islamist fighter and enemy combatant named uh, Detainee 001 in the War on Terror was captured alongside a group of Taliban fighters in 2001, just months after the 9-11 attacks and the start of the war in Afghanistan. He uh, has dual citizenship, but under his uh, uh, release requirement, he is not permitted to leave the country. It's not clear whether or not he could, um, using his dual citizenship, uh, arrange to leave the country altogether or to denounce his U.S. citizenship. We'll certainly continue to keep an eye on that. Well, Attorney General William Barr condemned the rise of nationwide injunctions, saying such sweeping orders undermine the rule of law. Nationwide injunctions prohibit the federal government from enforcing a particular law or policy across the entire country. Progressive cause lawyering uh, groups have used such injunctions to stymie a wide array of Trump policy priorities. 
Since President Trump took office, federal district courts have issued 37 nationwide injunctions against the executive branch. That's more than um, one a month, Barr said, during a um, uh, Tuesday evening speech at the American Law Institute. According to the Justice Department's best estimates, courts issued only 27 nationwide injunctions in all of the 20th century. He added before bristling at the notion that the uh, disparity is a function of the president's lawlessness. Barr cited the Trump administration's attempt to rescind the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program as the starkest example of a nationwide injunction's harmful effects. After the government uh, took steps to terminate DACA in 2017, three federal trial judges entered injunctions requiring the Trump administration uh, to maintain the, uh, uh, the program. And there have been others exceeding the total of injunctions filed in all of the 20th century in just the last uh, year. 27 nationwide in the 20th century. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. 5.30 is our time. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 34 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Supreme Court has handed down varying decisions on hot-button abortion, transgender, and border cases. A spate of decisions were handed down by the high court today and left room for cheers and jeers from both the right and the left, continuing a trend of judicial independence that flies in the face of expectations that Justice Brett Kavanaugh's appointment tipped the scales of justice firmly to the right. Well, the latest batch of orders and opinions included one likely to be celebrated by both sides of the abortion debate. We talked about that earlier in the program. Another giving promise to those seeking greater accountability for the actions of Border Patrol agents. And another that left in place an Obama-era policy regarding transgender students. The abortion case involved two aspects of a law that was first passed by Vice President Mike Pence when governor uh, when he was governor of, of Indiana, rather, one part required fetal remains to be disposed of separately from surgical byproducts following an abortion, and the other prohibited abortion when the decision was based on the sex, race, or possible disability of the unborn child. Well, the unsigned ruling of the court disagreed with the Seventh Circuit's decision that blocked part of the law involving the disposal of remains. The court ruled that because the law did not present any burden against a woman's ability to get an abortion, it only needed to pass the lower level of scrutiny that requires it to be rationally related to legitimate government interests. Well, the court found that it met that requirement in that it was related to the interests of proper disposal of fetal remains. Well, as far as the prohibition on race, sex or disability based abortion, the court punted by refusing to hear that issue. They left in place the Seventh Circuit's decision against it, effectively allowing such abortions to go on. At the same time, the court made a point of saying that their decision was only based on the fact that only one circuit court had ruled on the issue so far and expressed um, no view on the merits of whether uh, Indiana may prohibit the knowing uh, provision of um, sex, race, uh, or disability in selecting an abortion. Next is the case of Doe versus Boyerton Area School District, where Pennsylvania students were pushed, or rather pushing against a school policy of allowing students to use bathrooms and locker rooms that corresponded to their gender identity instead of their sex at birth. The Supreme Court refused to hear that case, leaving the policy in place. Now, there are a number, re- number of reasons why they might choose to do so, and it may not be based on the merits, but 
Uh, that's what they had decided to do. The Boyertown Area School District implemented the policy after the Obama administration issued a letter stating that transgender students should be allowed to choose which facilities they prefer. When the Trump administration removed that instruction, the school district continued with their policy. It only takes four justices to decide to hear a case, yet the court, with five conservatives in their ranks, did not feel the case warranted their attention. And again, it's not clear why uh, they chose uh, to do just that. Then there was the case of Hernandez versus Mesa, where the family of a 15-year-old Mexican boy has been trying to sue the U.S. Border Patrol agent in relation to a fatal cross-border shooting. The Fifth Circuit had ruled that Agent Mesa uh, was protected by qualified immunity and thus could not be sued for damages. The Supreme Court will now hear arguments from both sides before determining whether the Hernandez family should be allowed to sue. Another case decided today, or at least announced today, was Home Depot versus Jackson. that featured a 5-4 decision where the typically conservative Justice Clarence Thomas sided with his liberal colleagues. That decision favored a Home Depot customer who was sued in a state court by Citibank in a um, debt collection case only uh, for the customer to file a counterclaim with Home Depot as the defendant claiming unfair trade practices. Home Depot tried to move the case to federal court. The Supreme Court sided with the customer in saying that because Home Depot was not a defendant in the initial lawsuit, they were not allowed to do that. And while the issue involved in the Home Depot case may not be one that typically comes to mind when it comes to those where conservatives and liberals are at odds, it was the latest in a string of 5-4 decisions where a lone conservative sided with liberals. Well, last week, Gorsuch joined the liberal contingent in affirming a Native American's hunting rights A week prior, Kavanaugh was the lone conservative in a 5-4 decision that allowed Apple to face a lawsuit over App Store pricing. Finally, another case decided in um, today's announcement featured a mix of justices on the same side. Chief Justice Roberts wrote the opinion in Neves versus Bartlett and was joined by conservative Alito and Kavanaugh, along with liberals Breyer and Kagan. That case stated that if there is evidence that a police officer arrested someone based on something they said, it is not a First Amendment violation if there was still some other probable cause for the arrest. The conservatives, uh, Thomas and Gorsuch, concurred in part, as did the liberal Ginsburg, with only liberal Justice Sotomayor writing a full dissent. The Supreme Court still has high-profile cases left to decide, including one dealing with the citizenship question on the 2020 census, as the clock is ticking, and another over whether a war memorial in the shape of a cross can remain on public property. Time's not um, uh, not preconceived notions of the court. Uh, they will tell uh, how these will play out, but you cannot always predict, or rarely can you predict, uh, which side these justices will be on. Well, a privately funded organization called We Build the Wall began work this weekend on a project to erect a section of border wall in the El Paso sector, Former Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach uh, said Monday that the project was undertaken because there was a ridiculously large gap near Mount Cristo Rey and drug and human smugglers have been uh, taking advantage of it. The barrier will be built on private land authorities in El Paso, Paso, um, in the El Paso sector, which provides support for the uh, counties of El Paso and Hudspeth in the state of Texas and the entire state of New Mexico, apprehended 930 people per day, according to U.S. Customs and Border Protection. This is the first time any private organization has built border wall on private land, Kobach uh, told the um, interviewer, adding that the Army Corps of Engineers had said previously that the strip of land was too rugged for fencing. Kobach said the project was funded through private donations to the organization, proving that that certainly was not the case. It was not. 
too rugged. And a controversial abortion bill has cleared a House committee in Springfield, Illinois, and has now been seen uh, uh, been sent rather to the full Illinois House where it's being debated. The state's Human Services Committee passed the Reproductive Health Act. It's a bill in a rare uh, late-night Sunday meeting. The measure had been stalled for months. The bill would remove abortion restrictions in Illinois, repealing uh, both the state's Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act and the Illinois Abortion Act of 1975. The new bill would remove restrictions on both abortions later in pregnancy and criminal penalties for physicians that perform them. It also would expand insurance coverage for procedures and contraception. Proponents say the new bill modernizes Illinois' reproductive rights. However, critics, as one might imagine, say we need to pray for them so they will be filled with the Holy Spirit so they can make the right decision to protect the unborn in that state. Meanwhile, Alabama's adoption record is getting attention after the southern state passed the most restrictive abortion ban in the country. After Republican Governor Kay Ivey signed a law that made performing an abortion after six weeks a felony unless it was necessary for the health of the mother, the law immediately came under fire. Chelsea Handler slammed the law in a post that said, protecting the unborn yet having no regard for the children in this country who are actually alive. If you're not doing something, you're doing nothing. Now is the time to get involved. Well, the bill, which closely resembles the heartbeat abortion laws passed in several other states, was quickly criticized for protecting children in the room, but not doing anything uh, for them once they were born. But pro-life activists are pointing to Alabama's adoption record to show the state does care about the well-being of its children. Alabama recently set a new record for its work in foster care adoptions. It sends a strong, wonderful message to all the foster care children in the state, Ivy said when she announced the accomplishment last year. DHR Commissioner Nancy Buckner said about 70 percent of foster children return to um, uh, to their homes, those remaining. But those who don't, they need their own loving, caring, permanent family. And that's what it's all about. And in Alabama, apparently they are stepping up to adopt those children. Journalists David Delayden and Sandra Merritt, names you probably have forgotten, uh, who exposed suspect uh, dealings at taxpayer-funded abortion mill Planned Parenthood via undercover videos, were denied a request to halt criminal prosecution, a press release from the Thomas More Society uh, said on Friday. Last month, the California Supreme Court issued a stay in the high-profile case based on political bias and selective prosecution, but now the case is moving forward. Delayden and Merritt were hit with 15 felony charges in March of 2017 for their undercover work. The charges were widely decried for their threat to journalists, including by the left-wing Los Angeles Times. Felony charges are a disturbing overreach for a duel behind the Planned Parenthood Sting videos, a headline for the outlet warned. Vice President and Senior Counsel at the Thomas More Society, Peter Bryn, rather Breen, who is part of Mr. Delayden's legal team, blasted the denial uh, to cease prosecution, saying this decision to deny Delayden's petition for review means that California Attorney General Xavier Basara, or Becara, a name you may be familiar with, as Planned Parenthood's prosecutor in chief, will be able to continue his unconstitutional harassment of David, bringing charges against him that don't pass the red face test. And again, uh, journalists David Delayden and Sandra Merritt are both facing felony charges. Well, the U.S. House of Representatives uh, passed a bill that aims to encourage retirement saving among American Americans and strengthen their long-term financial stability. 
Among the provisions called for in the Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement or Security Act are a couple that will um, increase the flexibility associated with retirement accounts. Individuals would be allowed to stash money into IRA accounts beyond the current age limit of 70 and a half. They would also delay when individuals are required to begin taking requirement uh, required minimum distribution to 72 from 70 and a half. The legislation is seeking to make it easier for companies to band together to offer 401k plans while requiring businesses to allow some part-time workers to participate. It would also encourage those plans to offer annuities or fixed sums typically paid out over a lifetime. Lawmakers passed the bill with bipartisan support by a margin of 417 to 3. It does happen occasionally in Washington, and they approve this retirement reform bill that amends um, the IRA and 401 rules uh, following a trend of baby boomers postponing their retirement. 46 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Tomorrow on the program, um, well, actually we're working on a couple of things. We're moving some things around, so I won't even mention that. But Thursday, we'll talk with Amy Wolf. She's the author of Signs of Hope, which isn't a book. It is a campaign, essentially communicating a message of love that's quite unique and has taken root all across the globe. So we'll talk with uh, this local girl, Amy Wolf, Signs of Hope, literally Signs of Hope. So she'll join us on Thursday. And then on Friday, we will take a look at the lighter side of the news. Well, Paul Coleman, writing for The Daily Signal, points out that the media won't say it, but Christians are the number one persecuted group worldwide. And he writes that Sri Lanka, April 21st, 500 wounded, 300 dead in a terrorist attack. We all remember when that happened. Well, according to mainstream media and many in the international community, these attacks were another senseless assault on humanity. But the destruction of Christian churches on Easter morning was not motivated by generic hatred. Uh, We know exactly why these men, women, and children died. They died for their Christian faith. On the holiest day in the Christian calendar, three bombs ripped through Christian churches, killing hundreds who had gathered peacefully to celebrate Christ's resurrection from the dead. But the international leaders have studiously avoided calling this what it is, anti-Christian persecution. Well, former President Barack Obama tweeted, The attacks on tourists and Easter worshipers in Sri Lanka are an attack on humanity. Hillary Clinton tweeted about today's horrific attacks on Easter worshipers and travelers. Well, it didn't quite say the whole story. Indian Prime Minister Narati Modi, he condemned the horrific blasts in Sri Lanka, but said nothing about how the violence targeted Christians, which, by the way, he has played some role in fomenting. And Turkish President um, Erdogan, he called the attacks an assault on all humanity. Well, the truth is it wasn't an assault on all humanity. They were singled out because of their Christian faith. All that is true, um, Mr. Uh, The author of this uh, column, Mr. Coleman, points out all of it is true, but it's not enough, especially given the fact that uh, both Obama and Clinton expressly mentioned the Jewish and Muslim communities after recent attacks on a synagogue and a mosque, recognizing that they had been targeted because they were Jews and Muslims. 
Well, post-Sri Lanka, these leaders avoided the word church and said nothing about the global Christian community or about the reality that Christians are now the most persecuted religious group in the world. Now, if you know the scriptures, you're not surprised by that. Jesus himself made mention of it because they hated me. They're going to hate you, that you will know tribulation in this world. So this doesn't come as a surprise, but we are seeing come to pass precisely what the scriptures tell us, particularly at the culmination of the age. And we read about uh, incidents in Revelation and, and certainly elsewhere as well. Well, in fact, just one day after the bombings in Sri Lanka, CNN completely ignored the attacks in a series of town halls. Many journalists actually scoffed at the notion that Christians face intense persecution around the globe. Pointing out the uh, double standard might strike some as pretty, well, petty scorekeeping, but words matter. When people acknowledge that Jews or Muslims are persecuted for their beliefs, but ignore that Christians are being persecuted for theirs, they give us a grossly inaccurate picture of reality. It is wrong when Jews are persecuted for their faith. It is wrong when Muslims are persecuted for their faith, but it is right to point out the motivation of those who would target them. Equally, it's wrong for Christians to be persecuted for their faith and right to point out the motivation of those who would persecute them. The truth is that Christians globally are facing the same hatred that's uh, spurred the Sri Lankan attacks. Consider, for example, in um, Asia, where Sri Lankan Christians regularly face the destruction of their churches and physical assault. Christians in India, likewise, endure extreme persecution from Hindu extremists, while the Indian government does little to stop it. In North Korea, Christians who are found uh, found out rather are killed or imprisoned in labor camps and their families punished. Under President Xi Jinping, China has shut down or demolished thousands of churches, arrested thousands of Christians and church leaders, and is even now producing its own Communist Party-friendly version of the Bible. This year, across Asia, one in three Christians will likely experience repression and persecution because of their Christian faith. In the Middle East, where since 2011, over 200,000 Coptic Christians from Egypt have been forced to flee their homes, and where two years ago, dozens were murdered in Palm Sunday church bombings. In addition, Syrian Christians fear for their lives, and over a million Iraqi Christians since 2003 have fled to avoid persecution. In Africa, where two million Nigerians, including many Christians, have been driven from their homes by Islamist extremists, with thousands brutally murdered in Libya and Somalia, radical Islamist militias openly hunt down and kill Christians. A new wave of attacks in recent weeks by Islamist terrorists in Burkina Faso have targeted and killed Christians there during worship, with far too few Western leaders speaking out. And in Europe, where last year in France, two Christian churches were desecrated every single day. In Germany, Christians who have fled persecution in the Middle East now face harassment and oppression that is painfully similar to what they left behind. The Christians who died on Easter in Sri Lanka were not victims of isolated, senseless terrorism. They were victims of a global and escalating hatred of Christianity. Like the millions of other Christians whose lives are increasingly forfeit for their faith, the martyrs of Sri Lanka deserve the truth to be told about why they died. The best tribute we can give them is not... um, Uh, Shock or wistful eulogies, their enduring legacy should be a new determination on the part of world leaders everywhere to promote and defend religious freedom. And certainly for those who are followers of Christ to remember those to whom we are inexorably connected as members of the body of Christ to pray for them and advocate for them where possible. President of the European Parliament, Antonio Tajani, was one of the few world leaders to speak the truth about these attacks and about Christian persecution when he tweeted, Even on Easter Sunday, there are those who sow hatred and reap death. 
The attacks in Sri Lankan churches testify to a real genocide perpetrated against Christians. Let us pray for the innocent victims and work toward religious freedom around the world. Well, the perpetrators of these attacks are part of a growing genocide effort worldwide to eradicate Christianity. Only by identifying their motives can we effectively counter and end this brutal agenda. I suppose it's probably true that there will never be those who are secular who will advocate for those men and women of the Christian faith, but we who are followers of Jesus certainly have an obligation to be aware of uh, what's happening to them, to pray diligently and fervently for them, and when possible to advocate uh, for their safety. In this world, we will know tribulation, but Jesus went on to say that he has overcome the world. So despite what's happening, we're not surprised, but we should not be fearful about the future. We know what the ultimate destination is for all of those who put their trust in Christ. But we also have an obligation to advocate for their safety, for peace and for the freedom to exercise their Christian faith in the same way we would advocate for others that they too should have uh, the freedom of religion. Once again, on uh, Thursday, we're going to talk with Amy Wolf. Uh, She has initiated a campaign that has had an impact all around the world. It began in Newburgh. We'll tell you more about that. And then on Friday, we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news. If you didn't have the opportunity to listen to my conversation with uh, Kevin Terrio, who's a senior counsel and vice president of the Center for Life with the Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, we talked about um, overturning Roe versus Wade and a decision uh, that was made earlier today, as well as um, the comments of one of the... um, Uh, justices regarding the future of abortion being um, considered or reconsidered by the Supreme Court. Let me encourage you to check that out on our podcast. Uh, You can go to kpdq.com and look for the Georgine Rice Show, and there you can uh, look that interview up. We also talked with the um, um, twin filmmakers, the Justice Brothers, Sean and Kyle, both doing work for the kingdom behind the camera you can listen to that conversation as well. I want to thank James Blind for producing and Clark Hilton for engineering today's program. And thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.